I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. There was a time when the name Moog was synonymous with synthesizers. Today, we'll hear the story of Robert Moog and his life-changing invention, the Moog Synthesizer. I'll be talking to Albert Glinsky, who has just released an exhaustive biography on Moog called Switched On, Bob Moog and the Synthesizer Revolution. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about Echoes Online. You know you're probably going to be traveling somewhere where you can't hear Echoes, but you could take the perfect travel soundtrack with you by getting a subscription to Echoes Online. Echoes Online gives you 24-7 on-demand access to Echoes shows. There's also exclusive online-only streams and Echoes shows without the talking, just the music. Just get the free Echoes app on your cell phone, and you can take Echoes with you pretty much anywhere you can get an internet signal. Whether you're lying on a beach in the Caribbean, bombing down an interstate in the Midwest, or moving through the ancient sites of Europe, Echoes can score your journey. Go to echoes.org to find out more about Echoes Online. And now, let's plug in Albert Klinsky and hear him talk about Switch On, Bob Moog, and the Synthesizer Revolution. Electronic instruments are everywhere today. Even on your phone, you have more synthesizing capability than most synthesizers from 20 years ago. But in the 1960s, synthesizers were exotic, novel, and to some people, threatening instruments that also cost a lot of money. The man who brought synthesizers to the masses was Robert Moog. Albert Glinsky is a composer and author, and he has written a new biography of Moog called Switched On, Bob Moog, and the Synthesizer Revolution. If you are of a certain age, you probably remember a time when the word Moog was synonymous with synthesizer. It actually seemed like a made-up word which people still often mispronounce as Moog. But it was the family name of Robert Moog who created the Moog synthesizer in 1964 and changed the world of music forever. When we tend to think of Bob Moog and we think of the Moog synthesizer, most people, I think, sort of, oh, of course, you know, it's like uh, IBM or Microsoft, it's a major brand, and so Bob Moog and his legacy must be a, a multi-million dollar legacy, and he must have been very, very successful. But uh, his problem was he sort of slipped backwards on a banana peel, as he always liked to say, into the electronic musical instrument business. It all started with sort of a, a basement tinkering with an avant-garde composer. He just wanted to help Herb Deutsch out in 1964. Herb was trying to make uh, avant-garde musique concrete music with different sorts of sounds and was very frustrated splicing tape and all sorts of things that he had to do with equipment and things that he had to jerry-rig. Jerry-rig is a good way to describe it. What Moog really did was synthesize the input and electronic solutions from several of his cohorts, as he told me in a 1982 interview for the Totally Wired radio series. Well, the very first musician I worked with was Herb Deutsch, who was at that time a composer at Hofstra University. Out of working with Herb Deutsch, we got the idea of the voltage control oscillator, the voltage control amplifier, and the keyboard controller. 
From Gustav Chamaga of the University of Toronto, we got the idea for the voltage controlled filter. From uh, Vladimir Yusachevsky of the Columbia Princeton Electronic Music Center, we got the idea of what's called the envelope generator, the part of the instrument that actually shapes the sounds as it goes on. Uh, from Parwells, the uh, producer of Switched On Bach, we got the idea of, of a bank of filters which provided a new way of coloring sound. And so it goes. Modularity was the key to the Moog with different components that could be stacked and patched together. It was modular in that every single piece of it did one thing and only one thing in either producing or shaping sounds electronically. The musician himself would connect these together with telephone-like patch cords. This is the telephone switchboard look that was so exotic back in the 1960s. Albert Glinsky documents the many iterations of the device that came to be known as the Moog synthesizer. He also details the often troubled personal and financial life of the inventor. He got the engineering bug as a child working with his father who was an electronic hobbyist. And then he got seduced by electronic music for good when he heard the theremin. He was just fascinated by the idea that there was this instrument that you play without touching. You just move your hands on the electromagnetic fields and you can play this wailing sort of soprano-like wordless voice and uh, make music with it. And he built more and more sophisticated models as hobbyist projects. And then just like his later work with a synthesizer, people said, oh, I'll, I'll take one, I'll take one. And they started to sell them. And uh, that's how he got into the business. Bob Moog wasn't alone in creating an electronic instrument. While he worked away in Trumansburg, New York, Dom Buchla was working in California on his Buchla system. For a time, they were perceived as competitive brands. Yes, there was a certain competition between Buchla and Moog. Buchla had claimed for years that he was ahead of Bob, and Bob himself was a little cowed by that, and I think sometimes even has said, you know, you can see it in print in some places, Bob has said, yeah, Buchla was, you know, likely ahead of me or something like that. And so I really investigated this. And no, I prove, I believe I can use that word, <laughs> prove in my book that Buchla was an entire year behind Bob. Uh, and I have all the documents to prove it. It's a, you know, open shut case as far as I'm concerned. Both synthesizers found favor in the avant-garde music community. The Bukla pretty much stayed there, but Bob Moog found a new audience for his instruments in the world of 60s rock. And it was right in Bukla's California backyard. So he went out to California 
to the uh, Audio Engineering Society conference to just to sort of present his wares again. And there was a musician out there named Paul Beaver. And Paul Beaver uh, was fascinated by this instrument and said, you know, I, I think maybe I could do something with this. And the first thing he did was to put it on an album that he was working on as a session musician called The Zodiac Cosmic Sounds from 1967. And that was a, a groundbreaking effort. It's the um, astrological signs and it's all of this poetry and it's uh, very um, sort of psychedelic in, in nature. And of course the Moog was perfect for that because they just threw it on there at the last minute. They didn't know they were gonna use that, but it was sitting in this uh, conference, you know, on display and Paul said, why don't we do this? Zodiac album sounded pretty cliched and corny in 1967 and it only got more so in the intervening years, but it opened up ears and soon everyone from George Harrison to the Monkees to country icon Buck Owens had to have a Moog synthesizer. But the breakthrough came with the album Switched on Bach by Wendy Carlos. Switched on Bach definitely put the Moog synthesizer on the map, absolutely. This was the first album to feature nothing but the Moog synthesizer in music that people could actually recognize, the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. And that was uh, Wendy Carlos's whole idea in this was, okay, how about if we use the music of Bach, which is very friendly and a lot of people know it, and re kind of choreograph the sounds now purely with a Moog synthesizer. And so when that album came out, it surprised even Wendy Carlos with its incredible popularity. And it went on not just the classical charts where it stayed at number one for a number of years, but it also went on to the pop charts, which was unheard of for a classical album. surprisingly when he created his instrument Moog as well as Bukla didn't want to call it a synthesizer. Bob didn't want to call his original device a synthesizer until a certain point because the term of course had been around and the idea of the synthesizer uh, goes back a couple decades before Bob's actual work and the most famous one and I think he was still intimidated by this which I understand was in the 1950s, the RCA Mark I and Mark II. This was a ginormous instrument that filled half of a room, very, very sophisticated, but it, it almost needed an engineer to operate it, and it was uh, a little too sophisticated for musicians. Bob knew about the RCA, and that was called a synthesizer. So I think he felt maybe it would be a little bit of hubris in the early days to call his instrument a synthesizer. You know, it was an electronic device for the creation of musical tones. But he finally, in 1967, when he put together his first big catalog, 
that's when he said, okay, I'm going to use the word synthesizer. And it wasn't even on the cover of the catalog. He also didn't want to put a keyboard on the instrument. The uh, situation with the early prototype Moog synthesizer was that Bob and Herb Deutsch were looking at this thing and trying to decide whether a keyboard would be the best controller for it because it was, of course, completely unorthodox. And it was Vladimir Yusachevsky, definitely, who they consulted from Columbia University. And he was very much against the idea of a keyboard. And very early on, he said to Bob and Herb Deutsch, this classical avant-garde electronic music composer, don't put a keyboard on it because then pop musicians are going to get hold of this thing and just make junk out of it. <laughs> there was certainly a lot of pop junk made out of it, especially in the glut of switched-on albums. As soon as you had switched on Bach, you had everything from switched on Bacharach, you know, to switched on Gershwin, to uh, you name it, everyone was uh, putting out their own switched on albums. But there was also some extraordinary music. Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake & Palmer famously adopted the giant modular Moog and used it on their first hit, Lucky Man, improvising the solo Moog Coda. also helped birth electronic music out of Germany. The landmark albums by Klaus Schulze and Tangerine Dream all featured the modular Moog. Glinsky drives by most of that music in the book. It was a mini Moog that was a high watermark of the Moog synthesizer. Bob Moog again in 1982. Well, the big switch uh, that we made uh, was in 1970 when we designed the Mini Moog. The Mini Moog is a direct derivative of uh, the modular equipment, but it's, uh, it's designed without the ability to patch everything into everything else. Uh, but it's designed in a much smaller package so that a guy could actually carry it. We had no idea that these people would actually take them on stage and tour with them. But pretty much anyone with a keyboard setup in the 1970s had one. Bob Moog may have been a genius engineer, but he struggled on the business side of things, and the company was almost always on the edge financially. He went into partnerships and buyouts a few times until he finally gave up the company in the late 1970s and sadly also gave up his trademark on the name 
Moog. Bob's trademark was sold along with his company. He really had no choice because he always had so many financial difficulties. And it was one of the biggest mistakes of his life because once it was out there, he probably didn't realize that it was up for grabs and a lot of people were grabbing at it. And he had to get online actually behind all of them to try and get his trademark back. And there were lawsuits and all sorts of problems. And eventually he did get his trademark back and his name, but it cost about, uh, well, a huge sum of money in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of his personal money, literally, to get that back. Robert Moog unplugged his last patch cord in 2005, but the company that bears his name has continued buoyed by the analog synthesizer revival seen in artists like Steve Roach, Robert Rich, and the recently departed Mark Shree. Robert Moog's dream is still being carried on. I think the synthesizer was the first instrument that gave musicians a systematic way of stretching the, the limitations of sound production, of exploring new sounds, uh, you know, not, not just finding a new sound, but actually uh, covering whole areas of new sounds in a systematic way. Albert Glinsky's biography, Switched On, Bob Moog and the Synthesizer Revolution, is out on Oxford University Press. And remember, it's Moog rhymes with Vogue. I will have a link to Albert Glinsky's book in the posting for this podcast. Just go to echoes.org. That's echoes.org. I've also put up a playlist of the music used in that feature. Go down to the news section on the Echoes website, which is again at echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot org, O-R-G. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next time, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online, right now, or whenever you want.